Will you guys make some noise for Pastor Jeanette? Thank you. I was going to wear shorts today, just like Pastor Dennis, but I thought it would not be good for the message. It would be <laughs> distracting. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite your presence here this morning. We thank you that you came here ahead of us. We thank you that you're guarding the hearts of the people here, their hearts and their minds, so that no lies will be able to penetrate, but only truth. I pray that you will increase and that I will decrease. In Jesus' name we pray. You know, um, God has placed a burden in my heart to reach out to those of you who are feeling very broken right now. I've had that burden for the past week, maybe a week and a half. And so I've been having to change my message. And I'm complaining to the Lord. I said, Lord, I'm never going to get done. Because I have a, a time with the Lord in the morning, you add this. And then you add this. And so finally, is it okay? And then he said, it's okay. He said, I don't want you to give information. I want people to come out of there knowing and feeling that they are loved. So I said, okay, Lord. So if that's you this morning who's feeling broken, this is what he has to say. I see you. I see your struggle, your striving, your ambition, your regrets, your fears, your shame, your perception of yourself, your hopes, your dreams. I see all of you, even the parts that you're trying to hide because you're ashamed. I feel your loneliness your sense of helplessness, your fear of repeating the same mistakes over again, of missing another chance at happiness again, of failing those dear to you once again. When you have come to the end of your rope in your loneliness, you're not alone. I'm with you. I'm very much present. You can lean on me. I will carry you. Come to my arms, I will hold you. You don't need to do it alone. You don't have to be ashamed. Jesus wants you to know that there is a way out of our condition that will lead to wholeness, healing, and joy. It's not gonna be easy, but if you're tired of doing it your way, is giving us a way out, another chance. And he's not gonna let you do it alone because look where it got you. He'll go through it with you every step of the way. And you might describe it as descending into greatness. And I'm talking about the spiritual discipline of serving. I'm not going to be talking about serving where you use your spiritual gifts and you serve in a ministry and you volunteer. That's for another time. Because today, I just want to focus on specifically on serving as a spiritual discipline. And serving as a spiritual discipline starts here on the heart. 
So one day, I decided to clean our kitchen. And uh, I started with the pantry. I emptied the whole pantry, put everything on the table, and then sorted it out, looked for the expired stuff, and threw them out. And that one, there was plenty. So next, I cleaned the refrigerator. I was so surprised to see that my onions had sprouted greens. <laughs> and I threw out some green cheese. Did you know there's green cheese? <laughs> I threw out the half-eaten sandwich from Mario's from two days ago, and an uh, uh, open soda can that's been there sitting for a very long time. So after that, I took out the liners, scrubbed the shelves and the drawers, and relined them. So the pantry was perfect, spick and span. So then I went, and um, after washing the, the pantry and the, the refrigerator, cleaning it so that it's spick and span, I started vacuuming the kitchen floor and mopping the floor. So then I felt so good about myself, having accomplished such a big project because I, haven't, I have been trying to postpone it because I'm too busy, you know. So then I've been trying to postpone it, and when it was finally done, I felt so good about myself. So I went and took a shower. An hour later, I came back to the kitchen, went to the sink, and you can just imagine my shock. <laughs> there was a dirty plate and a dirty spoon in the sink. And I was thinking, my, my, the members of my household must not know how to appreciate a newly cleaned kitchen. And of course, I felt led to express my frustration <laughs> in a strong and dramatic tone. Another time, we have a huge um, uh, hamper, clothes hamper, where we store dirty clothes so that I can wash them on wash day, which is Mondays. So from time to time, I see a dirty sock or even underwear, not inside the hamper, but on the floor. You know, if you see our hamper, it's this big. If I wanted to, I could dive in and I could make it. But this tiny sock did not make it. And so I felt led again to express my frustration in a loud and dramatic tone. It's so frustrating that my family doesn't appreciate my efforts at making or keeping our house clean. My husband didn't know I was gonna talk about this. <laughs> he just came back from Texas. <laughs> so sometime later, after the Lord and I had our moment together, my frustration was replaced with a realization that my little cleaning projects around the house, they were not really about serving my family. It had so much more to do about what makes me happy. A clean house makes me happy. And maintaining a clean home gives me that satisfaction. 
and that's what I wanted. And so in the end, it all boiled down to what made me happy. And it's just too bad if you get in my way. <laughs> so actually, there were already little clues along the way. Like when I'm cleaning, there's no one around. So I look for my husband. I find him in the garage, even though it's hot. He's in the garage. And I ask him, what are you doing there? Oh, you know, when you vacuum, the dust gives me allergies. But I suspect that it's because when I'm cleaning, I'm not in a very cheerful mood. <laughs> and also, another clue was, my expectation was after I clean, it will remain forever <laughs> spotlessly clean. So that means no one can use the kitchen, which is, of course, impossible. Another issue I have and I have been struggling with is my parents are now in their 90s and they live with me and my husband. While growing up, my parents were not the type to show affection. So my siblings and I did not have that much you know, affection shown to us. My parents loved me and my siblings by providing for our needs, you know, practical needs. So it seems ironic to me now, but at the same time, it's sad because that's exactly how I'm loving them right now. I'm providing for their needs because showing affection is hard for me because there is still this sensitive little girl hurting inside who has been starved for affection. I have two sons and two daughters-in-law, and I love my grandchildren, and I show it in every way that I can. However, I have not been able to knit a close relationship with my daughters-in-law. We're just, we're close, but we do not have an intimate relationship where they can come to me and share the problems that they're going through in their lives so that I can support and encourage. So these are just some examples of my areas of self-centeredness where I need healing and where I need to practice the spiritual discipline of serving. And there are many more examples. Maybe... Maybe for you, it could look like this. You are a person who is strong in organization. So you're the type of person who labels everything. Thank you. Labels everything, color codes everything, stack everything, you know, uniform sizes. And that's good. That's your strength. The problem comes when you project your strength on other people. Like people you work with, you live with. And no matter how hard, they, how, hard, how hard they try, it can never satisfy your high standards. Okay? So, there are other things. Maybe you expect others to do stuff for you, 
but you don't offer to help or you fail to show appreciation. Some wives expect their husbands to read their minds. Some husbands expect their wives to look hot even when they're cleaning the toilet and mopping the floors. We can look hot and sweaty, but not hot, hot. You know? <laughs> or maybe your style of relating is passive-aggressive. You may be the type of person who's hard to please, hard to work with, hard to live with. Or you think your job is more important because you bring in the big bucks and your wife just stays at home. Or repeatedly failing to meet the agreed budget. So every month, over the budget. Or being constantly late for everything. Or being quick to blame. Or taking people for granted. Or gossiping about others. Or the habit of comparing yourself with others. I'm going to do an impression of Pastor Dennis now that I think about it. Am I in the church? Oh, sorry. Am I in the church? Am I being real? Come on. So... Think about it. What are your areas of self-centeredness? For we all have them for sure. Some of you are pretending to think hard. Just go ask your spouses. <laughs> so this is where you thought spiritual disciplines was going to be boring, right? So this is where the spiritual discipline of serving can help us. So when you hear the word discipline, the connotation is something negative, right? Like correction or punishment. But discipline is actually, um, it's actually training. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 to 8, it says, Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness it's, is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. Spiritual disciplines, as Paul talks about it here, refers to training in godliness. Okay, Training in godliness. What does godliness mean? It just means God-likeness. Okay? God-likeness. Richard Foster, who is the author of the classic book, Celebration of Discipline, describes spiritual discipline this way, and I quote, 
the Apostle Paul says, He who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Galatians 6.8 Paul's analogy is instructive. A farmer is helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of grain. He cultivates the ground, he plants the seed, he waters the plants, and then the natural forces of the earth take over and up comes the grain. This is the way it is with the spiritual disciplines. They are a way of sowing to the spirit. The disciplines are God's way of getting us into the ground. They put us where he can work within us and transform us. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. They are God's means of grace. I like that. God's means of grace. Now, when we talk about spiritual disciplines, what are some of the examples? Dale shared about it, journaling. And then AJ shared about it, prayer. So there's others like fasting, study. And so there's... Uh, meditation. So today we're focusing specifically on serving as a spiritual discipline. Nothing can do more for your personal life and ministry than the spiritual disciplines. And the reason is because it's the way, it's a way to actively pursue a closer relationship with God because we allow him to work in our areas of self-centeredness, the areas where we need to grow in grace. Because weakness creates space for God. Just a word of caution, though. The spiritual disciplines are a tool to help train the body and the mind. It's not meant to be a spiritual to-do list. Okay? So we don't need another thing to beat ourselves over. That's legalism, and that's not what I'm talking about. The towel and the basin are the icons of service. In John chapter 13... It tells us the story of Jesus, Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He didn't do it because he is in need of God-likeness. He did it because he's God and he is a loving God. We, however, need training in God-likeness because our goal is to be more like him. So in John chapter 13, we read about it. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Discipline service begins with an attitude of service. It's content to be done in hiddenness and humility because the delight is in the service itself. It doesn't seek external rewards. It doesn't need a spotlight. It doesn't expect gratitude or to be reciprocated. It's done even when I'm not in the mood or even when it's inconvenient for me. It's done faithfully 
regardless of my feelings, it disciplines the feelings and meet the need that's right in front of me. Now, I've shared with you my experiences of how not to serve. I need discipline in the areas where I struggle to be victorious. And which areas are those? The need for control. Lack of patience and perseverance. Perfectionism. Expecting gratitude in return. The discipline of service gives God permission to work in these areas so I can be victorious. It is also a good check against my tendency towards self-centeredness. Descending into greatness means coming down, you know, descent, coming down from a high place. You know, in the Old Testament, we read about the high places, right? High places during that time were simply shrines that were uh, built on like an elevated ground. And on the shrine, they have an altar, and usually there is an object, a spiritual object, or um, it's made in the shape of their idols, like they worshipped animals, constellations, goddesses, uh, fertility deities. So the places of worship is where pagans worshipped their idols. The high place is where you elevate your idols. And what are these idols? It could be pride. The need to be number one. The need to be the best. The need to be always right and have the last say. The need for people's applause and approval. The need for control, perfectionism, self-centeredness, you name it. Those are our idols. In Matthew chapter 20, 25 to 28, it says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are greatly influenced by the values of this world. But remember, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom. So we follow different rules from the world. We follow a different master. In God's kingdom, whoever wants to be first must be last. Whoever wants to be great will be the servant of all. You know what's interesting? You will seldom see Jesus in the high places because that's not where he normally hangs out. He likes to hang out in the low places on the floor where you see him washing the disciples' feet or being with the little children, with those who are mourning, those who are, who are broken in spirit, with the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the sinners. We need to go down. That is what descending into greatness looks like. It's interesting also to note that Jesus does not reprimand the disciples for wanting to be great. He wants you to be great. But he redefines what greatness means 
our problem is we often have the wrong picture of what greatness looks like. Greatness is not about being number one or being the best or having the most power. Greatness, according to Jesus, is achieved by the giving of oneself. You have a choice. Choose discipline service to train yourself to be great according to Jesus' definition of greatness, which is giving of oneself. Descend into greatness by training to be a great husband, a great wife, a great pastor, a great truck driver, a great babysitter, a great teacher, a great worship leader. You can be great at anything. Many Christians walk around with a starving sort of look, a look that Christians often wear. It's the face of someone who spends a lifetime striving to be the person they think they should be, chasing the approval of God in others, but never really feeling like they measure up. It's seen on the person who follows the rules, does everything the leader tells them, is seldom acknowledged for their efforts. They feel guilty when they slack off in their devotional life. In the deepest part of their being, they can't seem to shake the knowing ache that they are not good enough. And if they're honest with themselves, they'll admit that the lie that drives, their, that drives them most of their life is God is disappointed with them, with their performance, with who they are, just like everyone else is. And this is the lie that the enemy wants you to believe to rob you of your identity. And most people, not just Christians, live with this self-hate narrative. For the longest time, I struggled with this too. I feel like I have died a thousand deaths by believing this lie. But when God reminded me how loved I am, my heart started to beat again. I'm usually very leery when someone tells me they have a simple solution to life's problems. But the truth is, knowing that I'm deeply loved by God has become the key I needed to untangle the problems that I face, whether it be guilt, shame, negative self-talk, obsessive or controlling behavior, people-pleasing, or trying to find my identity in what I do. These are all, at least in part, rooted in my desire and striving to be significant, to be loved. It's time to change the self-hate narrative to the good news narrative. And God is saying, I love you right here, right now, not as you should be, but as you are. I ache for you to come home and crawl into my arms where you will feel total acceptance, love, and rest. Come rest in me. It's okay to rest. Stop striving. I'm already impressed. Remember, I am for you. I have always been. 
I see how hard you try, how beat up you feel. Just when you think you can't get any, any lower, I'm there. Underneath your sadness, I'm there. When you hurt, I hurt. And when you open your heart to love, I come in. I have shown you the why. Now let's talk about the how. In training to be great, recognize the main thing. You're serving the Lord. Not people, not people you live with, not your wife, husband. You are serving the Lord. Ask God to reveal the root of why you're struggling in a particular area. Because the root is the problem. Is it the fear of being unloved? Is it the fear that you're not good enough? Then allow God to do surgery on it. Only God can do that. And as he works on you, you will encounter him. You will experience him. Also, know that this is going to be a slow process. It's going to be a slow process. So don't get discouraged, even if it takes years. Look at me. I'm 68. I'm still not over, over it. The important thing is to start training. God is always in the process. You know, one good thing about this is you don't get God at the end as a reward. No. You get him when you start training, and from then on, all through the process. So I'm inviting you to go down. Make a bold declaration to the people you care about, with the church as your witness. But this exercise is not for the faint of heart. But if you want to shake and loosen the hardened dirt that shapes the rut that you've been st stuck in, then it's time to change your paradigm. I will start. I'm descending into greatness by training to be a good daughter, a good mother-in-law, a good mother, and a good wife. So now I want to ask you, I'm now accountable to all of you. Is there anyone else who wants to make a declaration today in front of everyone? That's all you need to do. Step up to the, the steps and say, I am descending into greatness by training to be. And then just say what you want to be trained for. Is there anyone? Yeah, I'm descending into greatness for every area, every role that the Lord has assigned me to. Is there anyone else? Come on. 
Uh, <laughs> um, it's a lot of light. Um, yeah, I'm descending into greatness. Uh, by training to be a good daughter, <sighs> a good wife, a good artist. Um, there's something else. A good lifeguard, yeah. And a good woman. Is there someone else? Uh, the word says that the way down is the way up and the way up is the way down. So I'm going I'm descending into greatness to be not a perfect man of God, but an excellent man of God. Anyone else? I don't want you to miss the opportunity. I am descending into greatness to be a great wife and partner to my husband, a great mama to my kids, um, and a good friend, a great friend to uh, those who I love, who love me, and that I haven't met yet. So, Anyone else? You know, when judgment came on Israel, the Jewish people thought that God was finished with them. Their promised land was in ruins and uh, God's people were in exile and they were scattered all over the place. It was then that God gave this word to his people in Jeremiah 29:11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. The word plans here is a Hebrew word that's translated as plan, but it's actually more than that. It speaks of a careful, skillful, intricate weaving of a fabric. So it could translate like this. I know the meticulously woven purposes that I'm skillfully, carefully, and intricately weaving together for your future. God is a master weaver of our lives. And the intricately woven plans for your life are already being worked out. Even right now, it's being worked out. And He will take every thread of your life, every joy, every mistake, every failure, every victory, every defeat, every pain, every loss, every regret, every wound, every threat. 
And he will knit them all together carefully, skillfully, meticulously to become a perfect tapestry of love. And I'm going to end with this. You know, uh, a few months ago, Julie Meyer was a, was a guest at Pie Hop. And I was not able to attend. But AJ had sent the video. And so I watched that video. And uh, I was inspired. But because she said in the video, you don't have to know music. You don't have to sing well. You just have to have a heart for the Lord. And you can learn how to, to sing the Psalms and sing scripture back to God. So when I started, I said, I don't know anything about music, Lord. But I want to. I want to praise you like, just like David praised you. And so I kept practicing, practicing. It sounded funny to my ears. But one day it just came together. So I'm offering this prayer as um, uh, the um, singing of the psalm as my prayer. It's lacking in ability, and I don't know about music, and it's scary to do it here where all, the, <laughs> all of the professional musicians are. But my singing is going to be powered by God's inspiration. So this is from Psalm 5. Listen, Yahweh, to my passionate prayer. Can't you hear my groaning? Don't you hear how I'm crying out to you? My King and my God, consider my every word, for I am calling out to you. At each and every sunrise, you will hear my voice as I prepare my sacrifice of prayer to you. Every morning, I lay out the pieces of my life on the altar and wait for your fire to fall upon my heart. I wait and I wait, and I wait on you till your fire burns in my heart. But let them all be glad, those who turn aside to hide themselves in you. May they keep shouting, for joy forever overshadow them in your presence as they sing and rejoice then every lover of your name will burst forth in endless joy Lord how wonderfully you bless the righteous your favor wraps around each one and covers them under the canopy of kindness and joy I will sing and dance forever 
Because you're close to me and always available. My confidence will never be shaken. For I experience your wraparound presence. Every moment, every moment, all I need to do is to call to you, singing to you, oh, praiseworthy God. When I do, I'm safe and sound in you. I am safe and sound in you.